1: Welcome back to The Visible Artist. My name is Sophie Loxton Lucas, and I'm delighted to bring you this week's chat with sculptor Mark Beattie. Mark has been ambitious with his own creative practice and sculpture, but also created a thriving artist studio and community. He has a real vision of how it can work for artists. So I was really excited to talk to him about this, and I really hope you enjoy this chat. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. I am sitting in the studio of Mark Beattie in Enfield. Mark is first and foremost a sculptor. He creates abstract sculpture by bending metal into circular formations. Some of the works are very structured and look almost like a cosmic pattern. Some are much more free flowing. Each one is unique and Mark works sensitively with the different metals to bring out certain characteristics and finishes. My personal favourite is a copper orb from his 2018 series. Mark uses one continuous pipe that is partly shining polished copper and partly a soft green colour from oxidation, all bent into a spherical shape. It is one of his more natural organic pieces, and some of his other works I can see in the studio are bolder using deep blacks and bright neon light. The scale of Mark's pieces range from tiny works that can be displayed on a mantelpiece to monumental outdoor installations made for sculpture gardens or private commissions. And I'm looking forward to chatting with Mark about how he approaches working on such a varied scale. Mark was elected to the Royal Society of Sculptors in 2015. And since then, he's won multiple prizes, presented his work in over 60 exhibitions, exhibited at the other art fair in London, New York, and most recently was included in the Start Art Fair collection at the Saatchi Gallery. Mark has developed a diverse network of collectors across the globe, His work is in corporate and private collections across Europe, Asia, South America, Australia and the USA. Beyond his own practice and very impressive career, Mark co-founded the Artist Hive Studios, space we're sitting in now. This is a hub that offers affordable studios in a creative environment. And beyond offering the spaces themselves, Hive provides exciting opportunities for their artists through collaborations with sponsors and the local council. This is very much a project for artists run by artists. So I am fascinated to hear the the behind-the-scenes details of running this project. But first of all, let's start by talking about his work. Hi, Mark.
0: Hi, Sophie. Thank you for the lovely introduction.
1: No problem at all. As you say, it's a bit like a Desert Island Discs
0: (laughs) intro. absolutely. I'm enjoying (laughs) that element of it.
1: (laughs) Well, it's lovely to be here in your studio.
0: Oh, thank you for coming.
1: Can you tell me a bit about your work and where you are at your practice right now?
0: Yeah, of course. So, as you just described, I make abstract metal sculptures. Um, and about five years ago, I started to introduce light to the work. This was a bit of a milestone for me. It moved me <laughs> into another level with interior designers and architects. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to produce higher end sculptures and by gold plating them and adding neon or LEDs it moved me into a different realm really which I really enjoyed but I didn't want to introduce the light if it wasn't going to complement the work Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just add neon or add LEDs because it was the cool thing to do Um, I wanted it to add to the movement of the work and complement and work alongside the abstract sculptures that I was already creating
1: and looking back do you think it did work well for you introducing the light
0: Definitely. So I showed my first light sculpture at the other art fair in 2015 and that was an amazing experiment for me. It was a bit nervous, you know, I was a bit nervous at the time, but just to see how the public responded to that piece, I knew that I'd definitely hit something and that was really exciting. So that piece went on and sold to a restaurant in London called M Restaurants in Victoria. And from then, I was getting a lot of requests for commissions privately and corporate clients as well. And you started to notice that my work was increasing and it was probably 2015 that I also entered the Royal Society of Sculptors and I went full time as an artist. So all of those things are linked in some way.
1: It sounds like quite a dream success story. I think lots of artists, particularly if they're working in sculpture, it seems pretty daunting at the start and being able to then move into full-time practice and have amazing commissions. I mean, that, yeah, as I say, it sounds like the dream.
0: Yeah, sculpture's a very difficult medium to work in. Um, Everyone's got room on the wall for a print or, you know, for a painting, but sculptures are such a commitment. You have to have the right space for sculpture. and. Back in 2016, I started moving into sculptures for the wall. And that was simply because I realised that living in London, not everyone has got a garden, for example, or not everyone has got the space for a sculpture. So moving sculptures onto the wall was an important development, but also making smaller sculptures more accessible, more affordable sculptures. And I guess the miniatures that I was developing have really helped sustain my practice. Not everyone has a budget of £3,000, £10,000 for a sculpture, but affordable pieces under £500, miniature sculptures become kind of collector's items and hopefully those collectors go on to buy larger pieces, more expensive pieces further down the line. But it's a great gateway for a collector.
1: When I think about your practice, you seem quite inventive with your approach that you do offer a variety of work that means that you can sustain your work and. Sell to different buyers. You released your series of miniatures using the artist support pledge. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that was a bit of a breakthrough moment, really. Obviously, with all art fairs and exhibitions cancelled, it was a bit of a panic time for for artists yeah. and people in events. Like <laughs> yeah. um, and the artist support pledge. It took me a few days to sign up to the concept, simply because I didn't want to devalue the larger works that I was producing. But I realised that. By selling miniature works for £200, actually a work that's £3,000 with neon still holds its value. I also didn't want to annoy any galleries or collectors out there that had already bought work for, you know, £1,000 plus. But it was a great opportunity to go through miniature sculptures and miniature sculptures that i would made for the other art fair years ago. But when I showed them, there didn't seem to be that much of an appetite for miniature sculptures. But this was pre-Instagram days. Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? So it's amazing Mm -hmm. how suddenly with a social media platform like Instagram, collectible miniatures became quite appealing to people. So having the right photograph uploaded at the right time and with the right packaging, et cetera, really helped those miniatures take off and actually sustained my income throughout lockdown, which was a huge relief.
1: And you released a series of prints as well during lockdown, didn't you?
0: Yeah. So in the first lockdown, I wasn't actually able to get to the studio. I was back in Nottingham with my parents and obviously not being in the studio, I didn't have the facilities to make as many sculptures or the scale of sculptures that I wanted to. So I started doing quite a few drawings. And I guess for me, it was kind of a cathartic way of blocking out the craziness of what was happening in the news. and. Yeah, those drawings seem to be a bit more angular, a bit more angry, I guess, processing everything that was happening. From those, I produced prints and also a new series called the Fracture Series, which I produced miniatures and larger sculptures as well. But the prints were, again, a fantastic way of releasing something that was more affordable for clients. I released a set of 10, all packaged up nicely and yeah thankfully those sold out very quickly within 90 minutes which as a sculptor moving into that realm of printmaking it was a bit nerve-wracking again it was something new like adding lights to sculptures but i was yeah really overwhelmed with the response and the collectors that, that came forward and, and bought those then went on to buy miniatures and, and larger pieces as well So. Yeah, that was really fantastic. And I'm kind of looking forward to developing more prints next year as well, which hopefully will be shown at the other art fair.
1: That's fantastic that it worked well for you. And that it sounds as though following these other avenues of bringing in collectors that then might go on to buy your larger pieces.
0: Yeah, that was really important for me, really, because you need to almost have those lower level prices. And hopefully those collectors, you know, they could be in their early 20s, but then you have those collectors for life. That person could go on and when they buy a house, they do have a garden and they come back and and they invest in something that's of a higher price. But it's amazing how the affordable pieces can actually go on to fund art fairs that you might be doing or larger sculptures. So the neon sculptures cost so much to have made because I send the work to be fabricated in neon with a great company called Neon Sign Store in East London. So they actually make my neon for me, but obviously it increases the value of the sculpture simply because the cost price has gone up as well. And the same with the gold plating as well. Whenever I gold plate a sculpture, you know, you're looking at a thousand pounds plus for, for gold plating. So It increases my costs. And if those costs can be funded by miniature sales or print sales, then it takes the pressure off slightly when you've still got other bills to pay and mortgages and things. so
1: Absolutely. And to go back to, you mentioned you worked on commissions for interior designers and bigger corporate clients. What is it like, the pressure of producing those works? Do you enjoy it? Do you like the challenge or is it nerve wracking?
0: Yeah, it is nerve wracking. It is. And obviously there's always that big reveal moment where you've been working on something for a few months and you deliver it and you hope that the client's eyes light up and they enjoy it. Thankfully, all but one commission has gone very, very smoothly. Other commissions, when you're posting them to America or Asia, you don't get to see that initial response. So it's a nerve wracking few days until they've opened the crate and yeah, you get the pictures of it being installed and But no, thankfully, it's gone well. I do enjoy the commission side of things. I'd say probably 70% of the work that I do are actually based on commissions. People will see a light sculpture and they'd like it scaled up to a certain size or they'd like a a different colour of neon in there. And that's something that, yeah, I really relish. You have to have a continued artistic licence. You know, I have occasional clients come to me and say that they'd like to have this made and it's completely removed from my practice. And those are things that I just wouldn't want to be doing. You know, it has to be in my style, my signature style. And yeah, those are really enjoyable. And especially when they understand that each piece is unique. And that's the beauty of it, I think, you know, when you're paying these prices, you should have your own piece. There's no 3D printing going on. It's all handmade in the studio.
1: And do you make it in this studio
0: here? A lot of, yeah, it's quite a small studio. (laughs) Um, A lot of the works I do make here, but at Artist Hive, we've just got a maker's yard, which I'm sure we'll go on and talk about, which is a great facility and will completely change my practice and the freedom and the scales that I can make in London. Larger pieces, I'd say kind of a metre, two metres, the garden pieces. I'd go to a fabricator up in Nottingham. Simply, these pieces are just too large for me to be, lifting bars around and welding so you need to get in some experts to help with those again it's it's a strange one letting go of part of the creative process it's like with the neon being fabricated but you realize that you can only do so much you know the person that makes my neon has been doing it for 50 years so if I was going to produce neon to that standard I wouldn't be producing any neon sculptures until I'm in my 80s so um yeah it's Know your strengths and, and stick to those and then find the right people around you, the right suppliers or contractors that can, can help you move to the next level, I guess.
1: Well, I certainly want to talk more about the Hive Studios. We can come on to that. But you mentioned sending commissions all over the world. How did you find those clients and how did that come about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been doing the other art fair since 2012. And that was obviously the first time I met you, which is yes. crazy. Like nine years <laughs> I still ago.
1: remember. it. Was that when you had the corner booth?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just a rabbit in the headlights. You know, I didn't have a clue what was going on. But what an amazing experience. You know, I was in my mid-twenties at that point and had never shown my work publicly. And with people walking around asking you about your work, suddenly you realise you've got to smarten up and you need to know your things and you need to know the answers to questions. So That was just fantastic. And since then, I think I've done my eight other art fairs and some others. And I think that really teaches you to talk about your work publicly and have that confidence of selling. And it's through that, really, that clients have come back. And I've got a great client in Hong Kong where I sent quite a large sculpture, neon sculpture, out there. And that was kind of a bit of a breakthrough moment. It was, talking to the client for a few months about the scale and the design that they wanted it also needed to be typhoon proof so we were looking at that and wow. it was, yeah it's kind of next level really and then to get the images of that piece installed in a garden that I'll probably never see was quite special as well so yeah the collectors come from various different areas art consultants clients that I meet directly at art fairs and galleries as well
1: So you're really operating at a high level in terms of public art. You're creating work that has to be shown in different conditions and outside and travel across the world.
0: It's a funny one because it's still, I actually haven't got a public sculpture that I could send my niece to go and view in a public square somewhere. All of the works are privately owned now, but it is something that I hope in the next kind of few years I'll start moving into that realm of public art which is done through architects and developers but it's kind of a catch-22 until you've actually been tried and tested with those public realm sculptures you'll often get knocked back and say well you haven't got a case study of managing that budget having it installed making sure it's got anti-graffiti paint on etc but hopefully yeah in the next few years it will take off and yeah we'll have a beauty angel of the north somewhere
1: yeah definitely
0: <laughs> maybe not that scale well, just yet
1: it was always my secret dream to have a sculpture park yeah
0: so I'll let be... you know
1: when that happens yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> send me the email definitely
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you don't have to put anti-graffiti paint on your private commissions
0: no and that is I mean that's kind of the beauty of those when you're working with a private client you look at their space and you kind of get to know them and their family and What colours mean more to them and the scale. So I did a large commission in the lockdown for a client in Yorkshire. And that was fantastic, you know, to see his garden and work with him. And we had lights embedded in the garden that he could control through his phone. And it was just, yeah, that was a real breakthrough moment of delivering that and seeing how excited he was and playing around with the different colours on his app. Yeah, it was fantastic.
1: And at what point did you decide, having done some fairs in London, that you were going to take on the US and show in New York? Um,
0: I think it was Michael Warner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a shout out to Michael Warner. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> he was just, yeah, travelling all over America, doing these amazing art fairs with you guys. And yeah, he just kept reporting back saying, you know, you need to go out to New York. And it is a market that I wanted to, to tap into. And everyone kept saying that the neon sculptures would be popular out in America and LA and Miami. And so I just thought, yeah, I've never actually traveled to New York. I could create everything up and and ship it out there. And yeah, it was kind of a pinch yourself moment to be standing in Brooklyn looking over at Manhattan skyline and here you were with your own work. It was yeah, incredible really.
1: And the scale of your pieces or the nature of your pieces really forces you to be operating on a professional level you can't just pack them in a suitcase you've got to sort out yeah. the crating and <laughs> yeah get them out there
0: exactly you can't really be shipping a neon sculpture in a cardboard box which <laughs> meant the expense went up but yeah what an experience it was great and definitely hope to get back out there as soon as i can but yeah i've got a great crating company in heathrow and each crate is bespoke to the sculpture it's got shock absorbers and crazy things like that that I didn't even know existed. So, yeah, in terms of shipping neon sculptures across the globe, it's kind of stress-free. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear you use that word. I know that lots of artists have taken the risk and been really brave taking their work over to us, but there's been a few bumps yeah. getting it there. It's obviously so disappointing and the time is so tight. Yeah. You can't afford to lose even one day.
0: Yeah, I mean, David Stanley... It turned up and his artwork didn't turn up until the Friday, I don't think. So I had to sit there on the private view. But yeah, these things happen. And that's why, you know, the other art fair team are just fantastic because the support's there. You know, they'll help as much as they can. Yeah, there is that time pressure. And I guess going with, you know, I didn't ship through THL or FedEx. I had a private person making sure that it was a door-to-door service, which kind of reduced the stress but increased the price. But it was worth it.
1: And after all the effort of making the work and getting it there, both for London and New York, do you enjoy the experience of standing in front of your pieces and talking to the public about them?
0: Yeah, it's fantastic, especially when you have new works and you're kind of really excited about their initial response. It's like going back to 2015, having that first light sculpture. You can see within the first few seconds, someone walks around the corner, views your stand and they're drawn to a specific piece and you go, "Okay, wow, that one's worked. And with the neon, it just drew them in. You know, it was almost like a moth to a flame sort of thing. And yeah, it takes time to build up the confidence to talk about your own work. And you also notice by the Sunday, you've probably said the same line 30, 40, 50 times. (laughs) But you have to almost train yourself to have that enthusiasm with someone that you're talking to at four o'clock on a Sunday against someone that you're talking to at the private view you know that person that's turning up on the sunday has chosen to stop at your stand has chosen to speak to you therefore they're interested in your work and you have to treat them like you treat everyone else so yeah keeping energy levels up is not easy but i think having the right neighbours at the fair really help and doing an international fair like the brooklyn one was incredible because you had that group of british artists Mm. that were all going out for drinks and food in the evening and you really have a family that you travel around with which is nice
1: yes it almost has the feel of a residency everyone's come over together and spends lots of time on site but also off site
0: yeah it's uh drinking yeah it's fantastic (laughs) yeah I, i do miss it yeah i hope to be back out next year
1: You talk about your friendships with other artists, and I saw on your website that you were keen to do more collaborations in 2021. You've recently done some projects, I think, with the artists Rod McIntosh and Joe Beattie, your very talented mum. How did you find that process? Do you like working with other artists?
0: Yeah, so the Love Not collaboration was born from the idea of two artists in lockdown. And doing these art fairs, you do make friendships with quite a few artists and You meet up and socialize and share ideas. And that's absolutely fantastic to have that almost critique that you used to have at university, but then you come out and suddenly you're just making in a vacuum. So to make those connections from one studio in lockdown to another, it was really special to kind of go on Zoom and say to Rod, you know, what are you thinking? What are you going to make? And the same, you know, with my mum as well, and develop those pieces together as a collaboration through Zoom was really special and the outcomes were incredibly popular as well so I sold each of the works which is great to support the artists as well and yeah I hope to do more of those collaborations in the future it was great
1: well talking of collaborations I mean one almost huge collaborative project that you've done is of course the Hive Studios which we're sitting in now Mark gave me a tour earlier and it's a really beautiful space and you've got lots of exciting plans for expanding the communal areas and building a workshop space, as you mentioned earlier. Could you tell us more about this project and how it's going?
0: Yeah, so we opened in September 2019. So Chantelle Purcell and I, we met back in Kingston University on our MA and we've been friends ever since. So Chantelle is a, a curator and artist. And we were both looking for a studio to share about three, four years ago. And I was just really frustrated by all the studios that I was looking at. There was, you know, a call centre upstairs or there was no communal area to actually socialise with artists. So Chantal and I decided that we'd set up our own space and we found this unit in Enfield. And I knew the landlord from a previous studio, which was a stroke of luck, really. We're the only artist studio in Enfield Borough. Straight from the off, we wanted to set up a space that was different from other studios. We didn't want that kind of rabbit warren studio where you didn't know your neighbour and there was nowhere to hang out. So we built all the studios around the communal space. We kept 1,500 square foot communal space. And that allows us to do community workshops, exhibitions and open studios. But it also, during the working week, allows artists to break out into that space, experiment with larger works, put on their own exhibitions, invite clients and hang their work in the space, but also socialise with other artists. And that was an element from all these art fairs that I was doing that I realised was very special, you know, socialising with other artists, sharing ideas. It was something that was lacking in my practice since leaving university. So to have people come into your studio who might be a printmaker or might be a painter and go like, oh, that's cool. Why don't you put this colour on there? And you start thinking, hang on a minute. Okay, yeah, I could do that. And you can see overlaps with people's practice and it might be completely different mediums, but they could benefit your practice if you just have the time and the space to sit down and have that conversation. So, yeah, that's been a really special part of Hive. And, yeah, we've got some really exciting things happening. So we raised uh, £25,000 through L&Q Community Legacy Fund supported by Travis Perkins. And we've just transformed a horrible yard outside into a really nice maker's yard where we can put on community workshops. And again, it's helping artists here sustain their practice, so run workshops with the community. That's a form of an income that could pay for materials or pay for your studio rent. And that's the dream, really, to help artists sustain their practice pay for their studio rent and that's only going to benefit artist hive studios we've also just last week we opened a shop in enfield town center and that's part of the culture palace with enfield council so again it's promoting sustainable craft goods it's selling things all things made in enfield and we're encouraging artists here to put in work that they've got and it really allows artists here and in the north london area to have a platform to sell their works to the public so it's another kind of strength to artist hive really
1: it sounds as though you have a really strong vision for the studios and for hive it would be easy just to divide up all the space and sell it as studios and as you say create a rabbit warren i've been to lots of open studios and even during those events where it's meant to be quite welcoming it's not at all and you get lost and you don't know who's behind each door and often quite cold and dark and pokey. Yeah. Um, but this is such a beautiful space and sounds as though you've had a lot of interest from artists.
0: Yeah, so all our studios here are rented out and we've got four studios above the shop in Enfield Town that opened last week and we're kind of doing viewings there. We've always had that vision of what we want to do and maybe we're, in our mind, we're two or three steps ahead of what we're actually able to do. But I think that's really exciting. You know, as people kind of react to what we're doing, we've already got the next few moves lined up. And the shop is a huge part of that. And to have that footfall going through Enfield Town and promoting creativity within the community through workshops and art classes will only spread the word of Artist Hive Studios throughout the borough and essentially benefit the artists here.
1: The council must be really pleased that you, are, personally, you and Chantal are putting in so much effort yourselves
0: i mean they've been fantastic i think as the only studio provider in the borough they were really keen to support us and part of that is helping with the shop it's been great working with them they've funded a few projects that we've done over the course of the various lockdowns we did one mural on four street by one of our artists here king and uh, we also they funded a craft market that we did outside the studios over the bank holiday weekend and that was great you know this area. Needs more activities like that and more culture, and to bring it to the streets of Edmonton it's really quite great.
1: And how many artists do you have in the studios at the moment?
0: We've got 14 artists here, and we're doing hot desks as well in the communal area. And so by the end of this month, we'll have 15, 16 artists, and it's just about creating that atmosphere and having people working throughout the day that you can talk to and yeah, welcoming, warm. <laughs> creative atmosphere
1: yeah well it's sadly thriving how do you find running it as an artist so it's are sort of seeing the other side of things yeah
0: it's a funny experience really because running an artist studio it does take up quite a bit of your time and then I have to go back to almost focusing on making my own work because I haven't worked for 10 years to let things slide or let clients mm-hmm. down or not participate in the fairs or exhibitions that I want to so it's getting that balance and maybe occasionally I don't get that balance right, but it's also been really rewarding to have artists join that are students or recent graduates. I mean, I can't believe it, but I'm yeah, 10 years out of university and 34. I don't know where the time's gone, but speaking to recent graduates, I actually have got advice and realising that and the strength in what I've learned and passing it on to the next generations. Pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that's very inspirational, Mark. I think sometimes when you're so involved in a day to day of a project, it's hard to step back and think and look at it from a distance. But if you're another artist looking at what you've done, I think you'd be seriously impressed. Oh, thank you. Well, it's lovely to be in this space as well. It's not just that you've created studios, but you've actually created really beautiful spaces for artists to create work.
0: Yeah, and that was all part of it, really. We wanted it to be different and be clean almost like a gallery but yeah. also artist studios so each time an artist or a client comes in they're expecting it oh you know I'm going to go and visit an artist studios it's going to be cold it's going to be damp going to be dirty whereas actually they step in here and they go oh wow you know white walls a hanging system for artwork we wanted it to be completely different to what people were expecting And I think occasionally that doesn't help us, the fact that we are artist studios. You know, people, they look at that and they're expecting the stereotypical artist studio. But once we get them over the threshold, they tend to be impressed.
1: Well, if you're operating at the level that you are, particularly with your larger scale pieces and very high prices, very good quality work, you need a space where you can entertain your clients at <laughs> the risk of sounding cheesy, <laughs> but you know, look after someone if they come for a studio visit and they're about to spend thousands of pounds. It, yeah. I mean, there's an element of the more sort of grassroots artists, but there's only so far you can take that before it just becomes unprofessional.
0: Yeah, definitely. You need to tailor for the high end clients. And I feel comfortable being able to do that here and to have the gallery area where I can set up large sculptures and show them and put them onto a a gallery wall gives them the confidence in the product that they're purchasing so yeah it's definitely lifted my practice and I think with the things that we have planned so the maker's yard and the shop it will continue to benefit my practice definitely and you're always learning even 10 years in you're kind of learning from artists here and learning from recent graduates but also right through to retired practitioners so Haren at the studio is um, a retired lecturer so it's fantastic to work alongside yeah. those complete ranges of of ages and experience because it can only benefit us all as a whole to to listen to one another.
1: Absolutely listening to this conversation I'm sure lots of artists will see you as a very sort of independent experimental like risk-taking artist but you do also work with galleries and put your work through that sort of more traditional system where they are working with you and promoting your work on your behalf. You're not just doing it all on your own, are you?
0: No, no, there are definitely strengths to having the right gallery. And there are a number of galleries that I show with that are really good support, as well as art consultants. And They might not have a physical presence, but to have art consultants that, you feel comfortable with just picking up the phone and having a chat to them about a new piece of work or, or they can call you up and go, look, I've got this client. What would work? Could you deliver it tomorrow? Et cetera, et cetera. You need to be reliable and really you need to be that yes person, especially mm-hmm. at the early stages of being an artist. You need to listen. You know, you need to listen out for those opportunities and take them. Further down the line, you kind of have to start restricting what you're doing. You know, you have to be a little slightly more selective. But I mean, when I was in my early 20s, my parents and myself were driving sculptures up to Sheffield and, you know, all over the place. To have that support is crucial, but you also, yeah, you need to be saying yes. And you don't know what will come off the back of a two-day exhibition in Sheffield in the botanical gardens you might not sell anything that weekend and you're driving away in the rain thinking oh what was the point of that but someone might have seen you there that in two years time puts you into an exhibition that does help you move to another level so yeah it's a funny one you do need to have those different avenues that you can go down art consultants and galleries are definitely good support for an artist
1: and how does it work with the art consultants do they have any sort of exclusivity on certain pieces or is it more just a more informal relationship where they ring you up and ask what you've got in your studio
0: yeah it seems to be well so far I'm not exclusively represented by anyone and I quite enjoy that really it allows me to do kind of what I want when I want it's great you know they'll call up and if a piece is sold then you'll start discussing their commission and that way I can react to situations if someone comes through and They would like a three meter sculpture for a garden, then absolutely it's something that I can accommodate. If there's a piece in the studio that an art consultant wants, then I can deliver it and it can be viewed and hopefully purchased by the client. But no, it is quite an informal operation, whereas with galleries, it tends to be more formal. The works that are in their gallery are obviously on consignment. And it's important to value that relationship with an art consultant and a gallery. And obviously, that includes pricing. Kind of has to be the same across the board whether it's on your website or on theirs you can't have a piece that's three thousand pounds in the gallery but then they go to my website and it's fifteen hundred quid so yeah it's having that integrity and by having that they believe in your work and hopefully work with you more
1: you mentioned saying about two years someone might come back and I think it's Often is quite a long time in that way. Like it is long term. It's not just a couple of weeks or a couple of months. People remember artists from a long time ago and you never know what's brewing in someone's mind somewhere.
0: Yeah. And you have to be quite disciplined because, especially off the back of an art fair, you have these conversations and you start thinking, well, that's great. Like they definitely want a two meter sculpture for the Mm -hmm. garden. And you send them an email. Of course, you follow up the following week and you say, you know, great to meet you. That doesn't mean that they're just going to order a two metre sculpture. And I've had clients that I've met and three, four years later, they've not bought anything and then suddenly they will, they'll come through. But it's having that relationship with them and constantly making sure that they have the information. And if you have a new collection of works, then of course, put it in front of them. Make sure that they're on your mailing list, but don't spam them.
1: I think that's true. Everything you do in your practice is just reminding them that you're a, a confident artist that's making exciting work. And when I look back and I think about everything that I've seen you do, you know, I've seen it through social media or chatting at the fair, you're always doing something slightly different, slightly new, but it's all in your signature style. And yeah, I'd feel very confident commissioning a piece from you because there's been that consistency, but also experimentation over the years.
0: Yeah, and I think thinking back to that first art fair, you're there on your merits you know you're there based on the work that you applied with so already you should believe in what you're doing but fast forward 10 years I'm still there and even when like I look at my mum making work even when I'm retired do you retire as an artist you don't retire as an artist like you know my mum retired from being an art teacher but she's still practicing and she's still exhibiting and doing art fairs so although, you know, my wife might not be too pleased about it. I don't think you actually retire. And I think when you're a creative person, you have these ideas and you actually have to make them. Otherwise, I think you'd just drive yourself mad. It's not a hobby. It's something that you have to do. And even, you know, when I'm 85, maybe I won't be able to make a three meter sculpture, but I'll have the idea and hopefully I'll have the team that can make it for me <laughs>
1: maybe you just be like Matisse in bed yeah that's,
0: I mean that's the dream <laughs> around, isn't it yeah put that bar a little higher <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I don't think we have much more time but I did want to mention obviously there's lots of memories from the fair where you have had beautiful displays and had really successful fairs but I also do remember when you and your mum came to the fair early You are really well prepared that you'd wrapped up all your work so carefully and so thoroughly that it took you almost all day just to unwrap the pieces, let alone actually hang them. And it's just one of my abiding memories.
0: We were (laughs) over-prepared. That was it. We'd neatly wrapped each piece of artwork in bubble wrap and put nice tape on it. And I think the fair opened and we still had boxes on the floor. That was not a good start to a fair. Because people were coming up to us and we were completely fried you know we were looking and going we haven't even finished putting the artwork <laughs> um, but you yeah you live and learn from these things and uh, we'll be back stronger <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I think it's an example where you literally can't predict even if you prepare yeah it, you just never know what might happen and to be an artist whether whatever you're doing whether it's an art fair or running the studio space or doing an exhibition you just have to It sounds obvious, but just keep positive. I feel like you're always like that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think you need to be able to adapt to different situations. And yeah, you need to have a positive approach. And it's like a swan, isn't it? Even if you're panicking below the water, you need to be calm and and majestic above. And I think that's the beauty of doing these art fairs. You could be completely freaking out. But if there's a client walking around, you need to be professional and what they'd expect to see it. (laughs) fair.
1: Well, I usually ask artists for a tip and it's a piece of advice, but I feel like this conversation has been jam-packed with advice. If anyone is interested in Mark's work, there's so much of course to say about your beautiful sculptures, that I'd suggest they just look on your Instagram and your new projects that are coming up and come and support you at exhibitions and come and check out the Hive Studios. But thank you so much, Mark. Oh, thanks for, for having me. This conversation. Yeah. And I love seeing the studios as well. It's a fantastic project.
0: Thanks for coming up. Great to see you.
1: Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. Please do follow Mark at markbt underscore art. And of course, the podcast at The Visible Artist Podcast. Thank you for all of the ratings and reviews so far. I love seeing them come through. And I've got a great artist next week. So stay tuned, enjoy your week in the studio and be ready to listen next Friday.